Glory to Jesus Christ. Glory to In the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thursday, we sat at a table laden with food. We probably ate more food than we planned to, or maybe we did plan to eat more food than we thought we should. Hopefully you took a nap afterwards, as is custom on Thanksgiving. And now, Friday, the day after, a thing that has happened since I was a teenager, the ominous-sounding Black Friday. We go from a table laden with food where everyone is giving thanks to Black Friday, where we take our thankfulness and go, well, now we can just go to Amazon or we can go to Target.com. It used to be that we would trample each other in order to get these sales. Maybe that's still happening. I didn't see a headline with people trampled on Black Friday. But we go from the thankfulness of Thanksgiving to I have got to buy as much stuff at the cheapest price that I can possibly get. What a transition. (laughs) What a transition. Freedom is so misunderstood in our world today. We're thankful for so many things. But what do we do with all of the freedom that we have? Well, it seems like, and this has been a mantra since I remember, is that we like to buy stuff. We especially like to buy stuff because, and this is where it gets a little dangerous for us, it's pernicious. We like to buy stuff in order to find meaning. We think if we buy, I mean, look at the advertising. If you buy this thing, you're going to be happy for 45 minutes. They don't really put that. That's not on the asterisk and the little uh, language at the bottom, right? But if you get all this stuff, these things, if you just buy the next newest thing, you're going to find meaning. You're going to find purpose. You're going to be cool. If you're not going to be cool, then you're going to be accepted by your peers because you have the thing, And usually not one thing. It's usually like a suite of things that are all connected to each other. I think they started that even, I remember being in like kindergarten and the girls had those suites. I don't remember what those dolls were. They were kind of big. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? You can't just have one. You have to collect them all. Even that's a phrase, right? You can't have one. You have to collect them all. You have to buy them all. This morning... And I think about freedom and what we do with freedom and how our modern world and our culture thinks of freedom. I can't help but think of the image of an ocean. And we're just kind of bobbing along. There's infinite possibility, but we're in an ocean. It's an infinite. You can do whatever you want. You have to self-create. You have to self-curate. You have to self-promote. In fact, if you didn't know, you need to work on your brand because that's what everything is about. You have to brand. Where our, Our identities are even something that we have to sell to promote. This infinite sea of possibility, and we laud this, right? 
You are free to do whatever you want. Your meaning is yours. It's a choose your own adventure. But I don't know about you, but when I go out into just the Gulf, like we did this past August, I don't get very far out into the ocean or to the water until I'm like, I don't feel my feet. It's a little cold down there. What was that? What touched my foot? There is fear. There is the abyss of freedom. The weight of it. I, I have to self-create. I have to self-curate. I have to self-promote. I have to create my brand. I have to create my own meaning. And the world says, yes, that's right. There are no rules. There are no ways of healthiness that we can uh, prescribe to you except what you decide. There is some truth to this. God has created us free. And our freedom, though, and the way that the church and the gospels teach us is not a limitless ocean of possibility. But this is exactly where the world says, wait, 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 wait. You're going to constrain me? You're going to stop me from my ocean of endless possibility, limitlessness? And God says, you have form. <laughs> you have a particular way of being. Because, think about this. If you don't have form, if I was not 5'9", whatever weight I am, whatever, you know, what am I? If I don't have a skeleton, what am I? I would just be on the floor or some kind of blob. I'd probably exist for maybe 30 seconds. And then that would be it. God gives us form. Our entire existence, the fact that there's a particular person next to you, that there's individuals, that there's persons instead of just a conglomerate or just limitless, borderless existence. This existence that we have, the particularity, the form, the shape, is a gift. Our existence is sheer gift, sheer grace. He did not create us over an abyss, over a limitless ocean, or maybe you want to call it a black hole even. But our God has shown us light. He has shown us a path. If you have this image of a limitless ocean, or at least the horizon seems to go on forever, then you have with our God, if we're thinking especially of Psalm 118 or 119, depending on if you're looking at the Septuagint, that there is a particular path that God has created for us. That our meaning, our lives, have meaning. Not self-created, not self-curated, not something that we have to promote. But because God has given us existence and the particularities of our existence, he has given us an end. Our lives are going to end at some point. Beyond that, he has given us, in giving shape and form, what do you use? Do you use a hammer like a fork? Like the end of a hammer is to hit things. It's not to pick up your spaghetti. Good luck with a hammer picking up your spaghetti, right? You need a fork to twirl it. Maybe you needed to cut it beforehand. Uh, you're going to twirl for a while with a fork, but still that seems to be the best thing that we've come up with for spaghetti. 
So, the end of a fork is very different from the end or the purpose of a hammer. Your life, the things that you do, has meaning, it has purpose, it has an end, and God created it that way. Our acts, everything that you do, has incredible depth of meaning. The paths of righteousness, as we think about Psalm 118, 119, where is a great hymn of man glorying in the law of God, in the way that God has made reality. The path that we are made to follow. St. Athanasius on, in, on, in, in On the Incarnation talks about our existence and the abyss of our freedom. But this is a different image than that ocean of limitless possibility. What it is, is that we have a path. It is a particular path that God has marked out. But it does, because of our freedom, it does hang over an abyss. It does hang over that our will can direct us towards God, towards the path that he has made for us, or God will allow us in our freedom to plunge into the abyss, or as St. Athanasius would say, non-being. Because the way that we were made, the fork or the hammer, the path that is before us, it has a particular end. We talk of the church, and we go back to the image of the ocean of limitless possibilities. We talk about the church as the ark, thinking of Noah and how he saved his family and all those creatures. That life in the church is like being on the ark. And we're a search and rescue mission in the ark. We're not just trying to wait it out the flood, but we are on this ship, this ark, looking for others, walking the path finding God's purpose in our life. We're also shining the light on those who are attempting to live in the limitless ocean of possibility, trying to find freedom and meaning on their own. And they're flailing. They're crying out for help. Or they've given up. We on the ark sailing these open seas have before us a challenge. Can you imagine you're in the ocean, maybe you've got some kind of flotsam that you're hanging on to, and a ship rolls up and you're like, thank God. But you see on board the ship, it's a ghastly sight. People are just, you can just tell on their face, they're not happy to be on the ark. Things are awful. But at least you get to be on the ark instead of in the water. The challenge for us Christians is that often we don't do a very good job of showing the world the joy and beauty of the existence that God has given us. What God has shown and revealed to us in scripture that he wants us in the church to thrive upon. This is the life that we see in our Lord, the life of self-emptying and self-sacrifice. A life of obedience to God's word 
and to God's will. That we come to know and understand and rejoice in what God has designed for us. This is especially true when we talk about the beauty of marriage or the glorious, I'm going to say the glorious weight of children. That this is all according to God's plan, God's form for our existence. But we usually don't depict these things as very joyful, as very life-giving. Our culture especially doesn't just look at the sitcoms or look at all of the shows that run. In the gospel reading this morning, we hear about the ruler of the synagogue. He's not pleased with the fact that Jesus has made a woman bent over, stand up straight. And he's got a problem because Jesus has broken the law. Jesus has erred from the path of righteousness, according to the ruler. He says, you know, there's six days men are supposed to work on the Sabbath. And you should know this. This is the Sabbath where men are not supposed to work on. One of the other challenges, besides not showing the world the beauty of God's path of life in the ark, is that we can also abuse the path of righteousness. We can use God's word, God's teachings, and we can pummel people with it, expecting things from people that don't have understanding, judging people for the struggles that they're in. You can see in this ruler of the synagogue, it's an adventure and completely missing the point. Sabbath, the beauty of Sabbath, God's command, God's pathway to rest. It's a reminder of God's grace commanding the cosmos that is all within his hand, that it's not up to you and me to create everything. We exist because he has made us to exist. Exist. Is our Lord abusing the Sabbath because he has brought healing and rest to a woman? This ruler of the synagogue has completely lost the plot. He imagines life on the ark as without the ability to be healed. God's law, his path of righteousness, is not a path of just pleasure. It's a path of growth. It's a path of dealing with reality. To follow Jesus Christ is to love, and to love in all of its glorious weight, to self-sacrifice on the cross for those that we are commanded to love. We do not have an ocean of endless possibilities, but for the Christian, it is the straight and narrow way of the cross. The cross, the way of the kingdom, what Jesus Christ taught and embodied, this is actually the structure of reality. This is what's real. The ocean of endless possibilities, what we can fancy, what we can dream up, is exactly that. It's a dream. It's a fiction. It's not real. The epistle this morning outlines for us the structure of reality. God's sheer grace has created and sustains everything. Because it is by grace that we have been saved through faith. Faith in God. 
It's not something that we've concocted up ourselves. We didn't create ourselves. We did not create the path. We can create all sorts of options and dreams and fictions, but the gift of existence, the gift of salvation is something given to us that we are to behold, to contemplate, to rejoice in. Because, and this is often, if you've heard uh, Ephesians 2, 4 through 10, you've mostly heard, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and not, not of yourselves as a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And it usually ends there. But the next sentence says, and it's connected to that, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God's path for us, the salvation that we are given, is also a path towards the work that he has given to us. Our existence, down to even the works that we can do to the glory of God, have been prepared for us to do. All of it is grace. We could say, you know, had the saying, turtles all the way down. It is grace all the way down. As we turn and look, especially coming out of this national holiday of Thanksgiving, to the feast of Christmas, let us rejoice in the gift of God's love, his grace for us, and also God's path, God's law of holiness. This is where we turn, if you look at Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, those epistles, and maybe throw on the pastoral epistles, where God, through his apostles, fleshes out for us more specifics that we need to become more aware of. If you're used to reading the first few chapters of Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians, you get the great dogmatic theological vision of the world and in the last few chapters, it's things like husbands, their responsibilities, duties, wives, their responsibilities and duties, fathers and mothers, even children get responsibilities and things that they are to live in the path of righteousness and holiness. Even employers and employees, everyone has a path of holiness, righteousness, that they should reacquaint themselves in those passages so that they can turn as they read Psalm 118 or 119, that they rejoice in the law of God. They find delight in the contemplation of God's path, that there is joy, liveliness, beauty in life in the ark, rather than the limitless ocean of possibilities that God has saved us from, saved us from ourself, and given us meaning, life, and resurrection. In the name of the Father, the Son,